Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie with you for a delayed postmortem on the 2021 Stanley Cup Final. And it feels like it's the last opportunity to talk about the five-game series and the second straight Stanley Cup for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Just time is time to decompress is fleeting because we have a wild offseason ahead here. And it seems like the only thing that's keeping the shoe, the first shoe from dropping, is that the Lightning still have a Stanley Cup parade to celebrate and it might, you know, hinge on them. They might be the first domino because we know there's a lot to, of change to come in Tampa Bay. So chaos on its way, but perhaps on delay until next week, at least it seems. Julian, what's the word, man? Have you been able to squeeze in a little self-care in this brief pause? Yeah, man. Uh, on Friday night, I played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. I ordered wow. it off Amazon a few weeks ago and I tried not to touch it during the Stanley cup finals or during the Stanley cup playoffs. Cause I figured I'd be pretty busy. It was wild. Cause like I was, you know, writing the post game columns and stuff, but it wasn't until like the final where like stuff really just kind of picked up, right. Just writing the columns. And then some of the other stories I was writing, like there was one point I was writing like two stories at once. So after it was all over, I felt like, the adrenaline had worn off and like the day after the final was over the whole day, I just remember feeling sluggish and slow and just kind of down. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be true to you too. Like after it was over, I felt really sad. Like seeing the lightning, like celebrate. I was like, Oh my God, like this is over. Like the run is over. Like Mm -hmm. all the fun stuff that was going on for the last few weeks, like this is over. Like seeing all the fans celebrate and, carry on and enjoy themselves in Montreal like that's 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 done like we're just going to go back to a a time where we're trying to get back to normalcy through the summer and not necessarily think about COVID as much as we did compared to the Montreal Canadiens like there's there was like a part of me that was just kind of sad uh but then Friday hit with the Canadians post-mortem stuff and the adrenaline kind of just started to creep a little back up so uh playing video games on Friday night after all that and watching Criminal Minds as well uh, was a good way to decompress. And and Saturday was pretty good too, just like napping in and 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 hanging out and just chilling. So I'm trying to use my weekends a lot more for chilling and a lot less for like you know working and stuff. And the NBA Finals are on too. I get to watch a bit of that. Yeah, it's nice not. Ha- it's nice to actually just like watch a sporting event without the pressure of having to race down to the basement and talk about it for 20 minutes into a mic by yourself. But we get that opportunity. How are you finals. able to do that, man? Like, dude, I saw some of those videos you were doing just solo dolo talking about like the playoffs, man. Like, how was it for you, dude? Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty tired. I mean, this is the earliest I've gotten up in a long time. <laughs> it was like I was, you know, editing video till about two, two thirty every night for a very long stretch. But I love it. Like, that's why I got into this, because I like to work when the work is there. Now that the work is not really here. I mean, there's still things to come we got maybe one of the biggest 
two week stretch stretches or busiest two week stretches for a hockey writer coming up. But once that is over, once the Olympics Olympics are over and there's no work there, that's when I like to take my vacation. And I think, you know, after the whole pandemic, not after, but you know, we're at the tail end here where we can start doing some things. I hope that the opportunities to do other things do come up. And I think they will in August and September before we get right back into hockey. As for Tony Hawk's pro skater, what's your, who's your pro skater of choice here? I was always a Bob Burnquist guy. That's like <laughs> the extent of my knowledge. But whenever I played that game, Bobby Burnquist was my guy. You know, it's crazy. Like I started uh, just going through the tutorials and I'm just using like Tony and I tried to do like the first level and I was only using Tony. I didn't even get a chance to go through all the different skaters. I only played it like early 2000s. I remember my uncle was working at some like computer store. And whenever I would like visit him, I would get to like sit at his computer and play like a computer version. I think of either Tony Hawk one or two. And I didn't even think about the skaters at that point. I just thought like, Oh wow. A computer game. Like I'm just playing this game and it was just cool. And like the music and, and the soundtrack and stuff was always like great to me as well. Mm-hmm. So like it, just, it was like a weird like part of my childhood that I never really picked up on. But then when I saw that it was available for Switch and now I have a Nintendo Switch, one of the many pandemic purchases I made over the last year, I was like, yo, time for me to like delve back into six, seven year old me and start to <laughs> really fully immerse myself in the skateboarding culture. So I look forward to going through all the names of the different skateboarders available to me and the ones that I have to unlock through all the different challenges. So yeah, I, I don't know which skater I am yet. The next thing you're going to do is get one of those mini skateboards that you control with your fingers and start, you know, ollieing around your house. Oh, like tech so decks? Tech decks. That's I was trying yes. to figure out what it was. Tech deck. I had a tech deck, bro. I remember, yo, all around the house, I would just have the tech deck and do the little wee thing, man. You guys can't see. Obviously, those are listening, but like I had a tech deck, bro. Those were cool. I think everyone had a tech deck. I think everyone had uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater as well. That was one of the better video games growing up, uh, for sure. Okay, so you mentioned you were a little down mm-hmm. um, after the Stanley Cup was over, and I and I think that's sort of a normal thing to experience, certainly when it's a run that is so close to home and that you're so involved with. But, I mean, that kind of reminded me of what you said after the third round and after the, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights were defeated at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens, where it's – this is a very uniting moment at the end of a very difficult time in many people's lives. And specifically for you, you know, that holiday, St. John Pap- Baptiste Day, where the Canadians did advance to the Stanley Cup final. And you mentioned that being like the thing that you're going to remember the most or that a lot of people are going to remember the most is this unifying factor. So what is the feeling in Montreal now that, you know, we've had that, you've had that sort of hopeful moment and and unifying moment but now at the end of what is a pretty clear and decisive five-game victory for the Tampa Bay Lightning what is the feeling in Montreal and how are people digesting uh what was a defeat soundly at the hands of Tampa Bay and the NHL's championship series I think there's a mixture of sadness obviously because of how the run went and all the highs that came from it only to kind of end essentially in a thud against the Tampa Bay Lightning But I've noticed from fans, there is some optimism. And I think there's some fans who were pretty happy to see uh, the young core of of a Nick Suzuki, a Cole Caulfield, a Yusperi Kakanyemi as well, uh, and even an Alexander Romanov do as well as they did in the playoffs. And I think a lot of people are encouraged by the fact that those players did well. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think it's just I'm pretty sure with every I mean, this is the first time I'm seeing it in my in my lifetime seeing the Canadians in the final, but I would imagine, you know, obviously your team loses. You're not gonna feel all that good. What's really, really interesting too is I, I guess because I hang out on Twitter a lot, it's just seeing all of the different back and forth between Canadians fans and Leafs fans. Like Leafs fans are just like really like you know, trying to rub salt in the wound at the Canadians. I, and then the Canadians fans are like, yo, you guys haven't won a round in 17 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a lot of back and forth stuff, man. But I'm trying to focus more on on the positive side, I guess. I'm trying not to see any of these Twitter fights or whatever. I think for Canadians fans, they should just focus on the positive stuff and realize, hey, you know, yes, there were the older players like Carey Bryce and Shea Weber. That may very well have been their final kick at the can at a Stanley Cup championship. Even if it lost in five games, they could say they at least had a shot. But for some of those younger players coming up, that core that's in place, I don't know when they'll get back to the Stanley Cup final again. But going on a run like that, I think, will help them going forward in terms of, you know, getting more hair on their chest when it comes to playoff experience. And also, like, this is – it's not – like, for a guy like Nick Suzuki, for example – it's not like, okay, this Stanley Cup final run, this is the only thing that he has. He could also bank on that run in the bubble as well. Remember, the Canadians upset the Pittsburgh Penguins in that play-in round. Like, the pandemic is so weird in that before it, the Canadians were in a pretty dire state. Like, I remember being at a game, like, about a month before everything shut down. And, like, Montreal Canadiens fans in the back were chanting Lafreniere. Like, Lafreniere. Mm-hmm. Like, people were wondering, okay... Are the Montreal Canadiens going to put themselves in a position to get Alexi Lafreniere as the number one overall pick? And who knows what that would have been like with all the expectations put upon a Quebec-born player playing in his hometown. And since the pandemic, we've seen a Canadiens team somehow uh, get into a pandemic postseason, take a round off Sidney Crosby before losing to the Philadelphia Flyers, then play in a Canadian division, which essentially was created by the pandemic, and knock off a Toronto Maple Leafs team that a lot of people picked to go far, knocked off a Winnipeg Jets team that played like they had no business being there, and then defeating the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Clarence Campbell Trophy, the Western Conference Trophy, and go to the final against, as you've said, the the, the team of, maybe the team of the salary cap era. Like, mm-hmm. holy crap. Like, I, I the, the pandemic has done a lot of bad, but if there's a silver lining for the Canadians, they could at least point to these last two years. And I think if you're a Canadians fan, like you look at these two years and you feel pretty encouraged at the fact that despite all odds against your team, your team has shown resiliency, uh, being able to stand up against adversity. And you look at your future with a lot more brightness. So yeah, I, I think if you're a Canadiens fan, you're feeling pretty good. I'm fine, you didn't win the cup, but you're feeling a lot better about your team now than you did in February of 2020, which is quite the change. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been too much negativity. And you mentioned like what you experience on Twitter and my experience on Twitter is more Leaf fans and more Leaf-focused people than have-focused people. And I think it is pretty funny and a little ironic that, you know, the Leaf fans actually found themselves sort of humbled by this entire experience in these playoffs. But by the time Tampa had taken control in the series, the chests, the chests were back puffed out and they were, you know, in they Montreal. Like, Canadiens. I, I don't understand. I don't even know how it's justified. I, I, I was a little bit surprised at sort of the solemn nature 
and the solemn, uh, you know, attitude that they had for, for long stretches of this postseason. But right when they had the opportunity to at least criticize Montreal again, which, I mean, come on, you're losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning. What, what, what are we doing here? This is – everyone loses to Tampa Bay Lightning. That's just facts. Um, <laughs> but I, I just couldn't believe that people – the you know, the knives were back out. And, and I guess I can understand it from a lead perspective. But also, like, more of a general consensus was – well, this was their run and they're never going to have this again. And I'm like, that's not the way to look at these things. This is a major accomplishment. What they did, despite not winning the Stanley Cup, it was something that, you know, will stand the test of time. Kerry Price got to a Stanley Cup final. Shea Weber got to a Stanley Cup final. This team accomplished so much. They won the North Division. They didn't, like, they're not going to throw banners up in the Raptors because, you know, the history is such that you have to meet a certain standard to have that sort of thing. But this is a year that Montreal Canadiens fans are re- going to remember, and it should be celebrated. And I and I think that, you know, you mentioned the start of the pandemic, where they have been in the pandemic, the, the success of last summer, and what they've done this year. There's something to work with here. Clearly, there's a successful um, there's a successful aspect, and it's part of their identity now that they can find that success and do good things when it matters most. Now you just have to build on it. You have to build on what is the makings of, of a successful postseason team, but perhaps not an elite team just yet. And I think they do have to balance the fact that, okay, they didn't perform well in the regular season, but they have this sort of formula in the postseason. How are we going to bridge the gap here? I think that has to be the most important conversation that's going on in Montreal this summer and as they, as they try to improve their team here. But clearly they have something. Something works here. And they got to build on it. And there should be, it's, it's always about a process. It's about a process for the Tampa Bay Lightning for 10 years, getting to the point where they were a dynastic franchise. 10 years it took them after Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman were drafted. It takes some time, but some of the blueprint has been placed or has been formulated. Some of the foundation has been placed. And I think Montreal should be very, very happy about what happened and what potentially could happen in the future. Seriously. Um, the one thing, and I, and I know not to kind of, I know we're, we might end up jumping all over the place here, but yeah. one thing I, I realized from the media day on Friday was some of the emotions. And I understand that, you know, the couple days out, there are a couple days out from losing a Stanley Cup final. Corey Perry is a couple days out from losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning for the second straight year in the Stanley Cup final. And just seeing how much these guys care. And I know I focus on the younger players, but Guys like Corey Perry, Paul Byron, I know Brendan Gallagher pretty much spoke right after the final. Like that hurt for a lot mm-hmm. of those players. And if they get another crack at it for next year or going forward, like all the success that they thought that they had, I mean, they'll remember that. But when you go to that final and you lose, that hits you in your soul. And the fact that the Canes players were willing to show that uh, in front of the media, that's something that I was – kind of taken a not taken aback by but I was surprised at and pleasantly surprised because it kind of showed this human side but going forward for this team as they build off all the good things that they've done if guys like Brendan Gallagher if they somehow reach the promised land again guys like Brendan Gallagher will most likely be there and Mm -hmm. they'll remember that they'll remember those feelings after losing game five and they'll remember having to face the media not too long after the fact and you know I think it's just again if they get there like we go back to that 2021 run and how it might build the foundation. Hey, Tampa Bay 
they lost in to the Blackhawks like before they ended up on that string of victories as well. Right. Sometimes you kind of have to. It's part of the process. It's it's absolutely part of the process. The one thing I thought about too, though, that uh, I hope we're careful of is if like imagine if like the Leafs do well next year and like they go to the final or they go they and have like, like they have a similar run to Montreal. What if people start saying like, man? You know, the, the the lightning got their ass handed to them by the Blue Jackets in the first round. Yeah, the Leafs got their ass handed to them in the first round. If you want to be successful in this league, you have to get your ass handed to you in the first round. I hope we don't get to that point where, you know, it has to be a necessity to, to get yourself beat in the first round. Like, if you're good, you're good. But at the same time, I understand that stuff like that can be part of the process. So... I think Montreal Canadiens players can look back on this run fondly and say, hey, you know, they have something to build on going forward. The expectations have changed for them now. They're no longer the team that's expected to just get in. Now they have to go on runs. Well, I mean, I think the teaching moment is something that has validity. I mean, I think most of the teams Mm -hmm. that have success have those teaching moments. And that's mm, somewhat a product of like only one team can win per year. And there's a lot of good teams every year and they have to knock each other out to eventually crown a champion. So I I think there's a little bit to that. I think Montreal is fortunate to have their teaching moments in the last two years come after a surprising win over the Pittsburgh Penguins. And in, I guess it was a playing series. Right. And then in round one versus the Philadelphia Flyers um, and how, and you learned a lot there. You learned, I think Mark Bergevin learned a lot in that moment. I think that what's is what set the table for this run, but taking these lessons in the Stanley cup final, there's no solace when you're Corey Perry, might be a little bit of solace if you're Shea Weber or Carey Price because they haven't been there before. But you went on this run that was it both it's both a proof of concept, but it's also, you know, the guys like Caulfield and Suzuki are now seeing that and they've seen that after they've had an immense amount of uh, success. So you have those teaching moments, but after you've proven yourself something, and I think that might even be more valuable at that point. Uh, you mentioned, you know, just guys being broken up about it. I mean, that's sort of what I love the most about this game. It's like people do care. People do care. There's all, there's always like, yeah, your athlete doesn't care as much as you and all that sort of discourse that you hear on Twitter. But like, think about Jamie Ben last summer. Absolutely broken up in the postgame press yeah. conference. And that's a guy who you think wouldn't care in some ways, right? Ultra cool. Like nothing phases this guy, makes a ton of money playing hockey. Then he goes back home and parties and, and, you know, whatever. Like that's sort of his lifestyle. He looks like he lives a great life and an unfazed life in many ways. But this meant so much to him. And it means so much to the guys that lose. It's, it's, it, it gets that much more difficult when you make it so far. And I think that's going to be something the Montreal Canadiens are going to have to deal with here as they, as they move forward. But obviously you have that proof of concept and now it just takes – continuing to tweak it and to make sure that you can be a good enough regular season team so that you can actually compete in the postseason. As for the series, I mean, it's pretty resounding, right? I think it was pretty clear which team was better. Pretty clear which team was better in, I would say, the vast majority of the facets of the game. But if you had to pinpoint one thing, what do you think was the difference in the series? Just the fact that Tampa Bay's killer instinct whenever Montreal made a mistake that literally changed everything in this series. Montreal going into this series had to essentially play a perfect game, which is, you know, be solid defensively, 
ford off offensive opportunities from the Tampa Bay Lightning, shut down their best players, get to Andre Vasilevsky. They need to do a whole bunch of different things as the underdog. And mm-hmm. I mean, look, we all saw what happened in that series. I mean, one point I look, I think of specifically, I think it was a game two where the Canadians in the second period, they got a goal, they're getting all these chances and they might be getting out of that period with a one, one tie. And they enter that third period with the momentum. They have a chance to steal the victory. And then Blake Coleman pulls off a Clark Kent impersonation and scores that amazing goal to give the Tampa Bay lightning a two, one lead. And that came off of a mistake. And I, if I'm remembering, if I'm remembering that correctly, either in their own zone or in the neutral zone, Canes turned that puck over and the, yeah, I think Deneau was in the middle of the zone with Barkley. Goodrow couldn't get that pass off, couldn't cut that pass off, and then Goodrow fed Coleman, and then there's a goal. There were so many moments like that where the Canadians are trying to break out or they're trying to handle the puck in some way, and Tampa Bay is just coming back down like a rolling ball down a hill, and they're just able to just punish the Montreal Canadiens. That, to me, made the biggest yeah. difference in this series. Just the Canadians made too many mistakes. And when you go up against a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're going to make you pay for making mistakes. Yeah, there's just a completeness to the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? And that's, again, that's formed over years and years and years and failure and all that. But it just seemed like they have an answer for everything. And when you were, I think how Montreal got to this point is they really took advantage of one-note teams. Toronto didn't have or didn't have any reason, even though they should have, to adjust. They just thought, okay, we're going to keep banging on the door and eventually we're going to get in. Didn't happen. Winnipeg, just not on the same level as Montreal. And then the same thing happened with the Vegas Golden Knights where they just couldn't find that that different dimension. And with Tampa Bay, they can play both ways, but they also have all those different dimensions within their structure as well. Like they, they just didn't have an answer, Montreal didn't, for the Barclay-Goodrow-Blake-Coleman combination. Whenever they were on the ice, they were and Yanni Gord. Whenever those three were on the ice, they were just making – everything happened and just creating a difference, whether it was penalty killing, whether it was drawing penalties, whether it was scoring goals, whether it was shutting down the opposition. I really think that that depth, that specialty depth was the difference in the series because Montreal was finding its way into the Stanley cup final. They really were. Mm -hmm. I think game three could have went a different way. Game four, obviously they, they managed to win the game. I think they were good enough to win game five too, but Tampa just has that like chameleon nature to them where they're able to do different things. And I think what gave them that is that third line. And that third line was only constructed because of that postseason failure. So you see, you know, it's not required that you lose in the first round. It's not required that you suffer heartbreak or whatever. It's what you take from your teachings or your learnings. And Tampa Bay learned that they needed something like that. And now it's on Montreal to figure out what exactly they need and apply that. And I, and I think they're in a better position than most teams because they have a lot of the pieces in place. They're not a complete and perfect team by any means, but they have some, some you know, key foundational pieces to work around. Um, we could get into like exactly what, uh, let's get to that later because exactly how this Montreal offseason is going to look, we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But I think we should discuss Tampa a little bit before we get there. Yeah. And I thought, you know, the really easy narrative and, you know, cross sports things and all that. But the, the concept of the last dance, and I, I believe it was Chris Johnson who um, brought that to the fore, whether he asked John Cooper or asked Stephen Stamkos and was able to get that information. But this really was 
the last dance equivalent in hockey in many ways, because, you know, they could engineer some LTIR and figure out a way to keep everything in place, continue to not pay their guys quite as much as they could probably earn. Again, that's their choice. Um, but this iteration of the Tampa Bay Lightning has seen its has run its course. And we kind of knew that coming in, given all that they had to do to keep the, the, the family together here. And I, I really that really is interesting from a motivational aspect, how they got to the point where, OK, we know this is the last run. We know we haven't quite achieved our potential, even though we have achieved the bare minimum and we will always be Stanley Cup champions because we won it last year, even if the circumstances weren't that great. But that motivational factor, such a talented team working under the idea that this was the last ride. I, I just feel like that all sort of comes together and something that was bubbling beneath the surface that we probably should have identified a little bit earlier. Maybe it is all narrative driven and, you know, we don't know what they're thinking and we didn't even know if they believe that, but this was the last ride for them. And the fact that they took advantage of it is a very impressive and something that they will, it will always be more meaningful than last year, I think because of the circumstances but also pretty obvious. This was Tampa Bay's last chance. This was the best team, one of the best teams in the salary cap era together for the last time. So it probably shouldn't be much of a surprise, even when looking back two, three, four rounds ago, that Tampa was able to pull this off. No? Here's the thing. I'll go one step further here. If the Lightning found a way to lose that series against the Montreal Canadiens, we're talking about a failure uh, of this Tampa Bay Lightning team to capitalize on their potential. This is a yeah. Tampa Bay Lightning team. Let's be real here. We should be talking about a dynasty when it comes to this Tampa Bay Lightning team. And some, some people might still want to try to talk about it because of how hard it is to win consecutive Stanley Cups. Like the Lightning are only the second team in the salary cap era to win back-to-back -back Stanley Cups. They're not the first team to win multiple Cups, but they're the second team to win back-to-back. -back. And it's incredibly yeah. hard to do. But had they not wet the bed against the Columbus Blue Jackets... We're talking about a team that wins a third straight Stanley Cup. And you can make an argument Absolutely. that that team in 2019 might have been just as good, if not better, than the other teams that they put up in 2020-21. You can make an argument, considering how dominant the regular season was. But yeah. I think if the Lightning were to somehow lose that series this year, you're talking about a team that would win one Stanley Cup in three years, despite you know having all these, all these talented players on their roster. And this year having the you know, however million above the salary cap limit or whatever, and then you lose, I think that would be, I mean, they could always say they were Stanley Cup champions at least once, but it would still be seen as a failure. So I like the idea of the last dance kind of coming into it and the fact that the Tampa Bay Lightning can at least say that they won two out of three years with the dominant roster that they had, especially with their play in the postseason. John Cooper can come away with Stanley Cup champions. That's another guy who probably would have gotten a lot of flack if the Lightning somehow did not find a way to win this year. And, and obviously, Julian Brisbois has a crazy job to do this offseason with trying to get everyone under the cap and having to move some bodies around. And who knows who will end up moving from this Lightning team, but they can at least say they capitalize on some of the potential for, for, for themselves and the roster that's been assembled. They might not be able to call themselves a dynasty, but they can at least say they're one of the best teams of this era. I, I love writing legacy columns. I love the end of the season column because it is definite. There's no like, yeah, but look at his Corsi for, you know, you're wrong. No, if, if you want a Stanley Cup, we have something concrete to write about and something that we can use to look back in history and look forward to shape our opinions. 
So, you know, I, 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 not that I put an immense amount and this wasn't the most thoughtful thing in the world, but I, this is the opportunity to make those like grand judgments and placements for teams in history. And you mentioned the dynasty and I think it's pretty close, but the crux of like my postseason column with the lightning was that they did reshape and sort of salvage their history here. It is much different that one Stanley cup in a bubble versus three of the greatest seasons we've ever seen. Like you can sort of manipulate it the way you want, right? It would have been really disappointing probably if we look back and they only won one and there were no fans in the, in the stands. And it was this highly sanitized world where they were coming off the ice and just rubbing their hands with, you know, some sort of alcoholic uh, ointment that makes sure that they're not going to pass any virus around. Like it's, hey, it was hand a different sanitizer. world, right? Yes. Hand sanitizer, right. So, I mean, some of it tastes or smells like alcohol and tequila now, and it's just like, that's, that's too much for me. Uh, don't even say tequila. It. Don't even say tequila to me. That is a bad word to me. I hate Really? That. That's, that's, hate my, that's my choice of, uh, I hate you know, tequila. if you're in Toronto next, next month, maybe we'll do some tequila shots. We'll find a good oh. tequila joint. No, 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 no. We're not doing tequila. <laughs> no. I, and I'm not going to tell everyone on the podcast why I don't like tequila. Maybe I'll tell you off air, but like there's, there's a reason. No, absolutely not tequila. Something everyone else. has that. Everyone has that one alcohol. That's uh, there's yeah. bad, bad, bad history with. Anyway, I think the lightning salvaged something here, right? Because there would have been a bitter taste in their mouths. I think looking back, cause they only got that one, but now that they've got two, I even think we can look back at 2018 and 2019 differently. Mm-hmm. How often have a, has a team won 62 games in a regular season? Twice in history. How often do teams win the Stanley Cup? Once a year, a team wins the Stanley Cup. So it's even more rare what they did in 2018-19 and maybe even more impressive given the random nature of this game and that anyone – and I sort of don't exactly believe that anymore. It seems like the same teams are winning the Stanley Cup over and over again. We see – more dynasties than anything, or at least collections of championships, at least in the last 12 to 15 years. But I digress. The fact that they have what was maybe the greatest regular season in the modern era, maybe in history, the fact that the NHL prides itself on parity and they went out and won 62 games. It's the closest thing to the Golden State Warriors when they had that remarkable season where they basically, I think they only lost eight times or seven or eight times. Nine, yeah, 73 like and nine. 73 and nine. It's the closest thing we have to that. That's this type of thing that you never see in the NHL. And it did not work out for them. They obviously had the most infamous collapse in postseason history, at least in our history, that year. But they have what was the greatest regular season that you and I may ever see. We may be seeing teams chase 62 wins forever until the end of time for us. No one will win 62 games again. That's possible. So they have that. Then they have a Stanley Cup under what were not ideal conditions. And then they have the Stanley cup after that back to back to make sure that there's nothing, there's no empty feeling. They want it again. So three of the best seasons we're ever going to see in a row from one team, it changes their history completely. And now we're looking about at one of the greatest teams in the salary cap era that fulfilled their potential versus a great team that maybe didn't quite do it. That's what it means for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Okay. I, I, I mean, we could talk about this on a whole other podcast if we need to, but in, in talking about how good that 2019 season was for the Lightning, it got me thinking about something else I kept seeing in the aftermath of the Stanley Cup final, which is that it seems as if some people are, are 
are not being able to come to grips with the fact that after everything we saw in this postseason, where you know we put a lot of hype on a lot of the top teams in the divisions, and it seemed as if it didn't necessarily matter at the end of it, you know, an 82 game season after also watching like a 56 game season, it seems as if some people, maybe not everybody, but some people don't necessarily have the appetite for that. that I guess that's one part of it. But another thing is the president's trophy. Like the Lightning have a season like that where they win 62 games and then they get dismantled by a team in the playoffs. Like, should we be in a position where like we find a way to make like the president's trophy matter more or have it more like European soccer where, you know, you don't have to necessarily be a top flight team and win the Premier League to have a successful season. If you have a, if you win the league cup and you're like a fifth or sixth place team in the table, that might still be a good season for you. And again, that's a whole other discussion we could go into more details on, but it does make me think of how, you know, maybe off of what we've seen through the bubble in the last two, three years, I would love to see the NHL make changes to their regular season and have a bit more emphasis put on the president's trophy and a few other stuff, uh, maybe an in-season tournament or something else that will help us get through another 82 game slot. Cause let's be real here. The Stanley cup, we're in a, we're at a time now where the Stanley cup is, is what matters in the NHL and you can mm-hmm. be a top seed and you could fall in the first round or you could be an eight seed or have a 37 and 41 record. As a lot of people have liked to trumpet around with the Montreal Canadians and make the damn final. Also, we've heard a lot of, oh, well, you have players who can get you to the playoffs and get players who can get you through the playoffs. So if the playoffs are all that matters, why do we need to care so much about an A2 game season? Like in Toronto right now, like let's be real here. The Toronto Maple Leafs went through a whole season where they have the Rocket Prashard winner and, and they finish atop their division and they lose 3-1. They were up 3-1 against the, Toronto, against the Montreal Canadiens in the first round and they blew all of it. They have nothing to show for that year. Like, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan right now, after all that, and the fact you can't get past the first round, what the hell do you care about the regular season going forward? You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't care. And I know that's one specific team, but I know there are other NHL fans who might be thinking very similarly. Is there, I think, and and I, and I get this probably like a whole other topic that we didn't even necessarily plan out for, but mm-hmm. I think it's something to think about going forward because there are some great teams that have found ways to do really well in the regular season. If it doesn't really matter to them, they're like, what's the point? And I don't think that's necessarily cool. Like, I think if we're going to remember the Tampa Bay Lightning as a great regular season team and winning the President's Trophy, it would be great to see an era where you could be a great regular season team and win the President's Trophy and have it actually mean something. Maybe it doesn't have to mean as much as the Stanley Cup, but it gets you a bye or it gets you like you know access to what if they had like the equivalent of like the UEFA Super Cup I think it's the title right where it's what the best teams from each like continent's champions league are like in the same mm-hmm. tournament and they play against each other or like the community shield where you have like the premier league winner versus the FA Cup winner like what if you had like a game you had the president's trophy winner versus like the Stanley Cup winner and maybe i mean I'm spitballing a lot here, but you you talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning and how we'll remember that regular season now made me think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough, right? I I honestly don't think anything's going to change. I, th- I think you could have some sort of it's wishful thinking. 
I think you could have an interesting idea, like a community shield thing. I think you could start the regular season the next year, like the premier league does with the Stanley cup champion playing the president's trophy winner for something. What would it be? What would it actually, what would it take to actually incentivize these players or teams to make it actually meaningful? Would they play maybe a two game series or three game series, a best of three uh, for something? Is it for cash? I have no idea what that could be, but yeah, that's interesting seeing, um, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning potentially going up against who would it be this year? The Colorado Avalanche. That would be money in the bank. If ESPN wants to start, it's I mean, it's too late now. But if ESPN in a perfect world was starting its relationship with the NHL back up again with a three game series that actually meant something between Colorado and Tampa Bay in September. Sign me up. That sounds fantastic. But I think to... I have a weird idea. I think I have a weird idea. Go for it. You mentioned money and talking about cash. We're in a we're in a essentially in an environment where it's going to be a flat salary cap. Anything like an in season tournament or a President's Trophy thing, like your incentive has to do with like, like something to do with the salary cap. Like if an you extra win, five million on the cap, salary cap, like something like that, or like you can have one of your players not count on like the salary cap or something kind of like a designated player in MLS. Maybe it's a really weird idea, but I think if you want to get people to care about like that sort of thing or the teams, at least to care, you have to do something that has to do with the money in the salary cap. Sorry, not to to cut you off again, but no, I I completely agree. I think that's the only way is you're going to have something that it both incentivizes players and teams and is actually worth watching. Like the, you know, the community shield is one thing because I think it's the, it's the winner versus the FA cup champion, I believe. Yeah. I believe that's what it is. I might yeah. be wrong. I might be wrong I because if the FA, if the FA cup champion comes from one of the lower levels, no, it would still be a community shield because it's a non-regular season game. Right. Okay. So yeah, that's something you could look at having the president's trophy winner play the Stanley cup champion. I think that's, that's really it though. But will the president's trophy really winner really care? Like I, I just, I think they'll still be upset with the fact that they wouldn't, they didn't win the Stanley cup. And you know, making the President's Trophy worth more than the Stanley Cup or anything like that. Like, I, sorry, I don't want to change the Stanley Cup tournament for anything. And I, I don't want that either. I want to change. I don't want that either. And if you reduce that because you're trying to build up something else, I, I, I just feel like you can't have both of them. So I, I think it's going to take something totally creative, something way out of the realm, whether it's playing playing games worked for the NBA. I think that was great. Yeah. I think that could work for the NHL. I think something like the community shield could work for the NHL as well, but we're at the point now where it's just like, they're just trying to get the train back on the tracks, right. With this, with the COVID thing, with getting Seattle in with the Olympics, like there's just so much, right. If, if I would, if I could, you know, make sure anything that means something exists and continues to exist, it would be the Olympics and just give me that. We're watching Euro the last month and there's just nothing better than best on best international competition. And we get that, you know, you and I have got that, what, three times in our lifetime, maybe four. Um, it's just oh, so God. rare, right? Like, we just don't get those opportunities. And now we might let another opportunity here go to waste, even though it was collectively bargained and agreed upon, which is terrible. But it's just has to do with the times and the pandemic and everything else. So, yeah, I'm with you. I would love it if there was some other reason to care. And I think that would have to be around September because you can't change the regular season for the financial dynamic of all these things. Like you need the 41 regular season home games for every team in order for them to make their money for them to have a league that is not going to have a flat cap. That's going to ruin everything and break up super teams like the Tampa Bay lightning. And we're not going to change anything about the Stanley cup playoffs because I think most people agree, at least in hockey, that it is 
the best time to be watching hockey. It is maybe the best tournament. It is the most entertaining thing. And it changes so much from the playoffs from the regular season. It's just that it means that much more. And that's the one thing players were, are always going to care about everything else. It might be contrived. They might care about it one day, but it's hard to replicate what you have with the Stanley cup playoffs and what you have with the Olympics. To be clear, like all the ideas I'm bringing up here, not, uh, not with the intention of delegitimizing the Stanley cup. It's the ultimate prize in the NHL. It's the greatest trophy to win in sports. As far as I'm concerned, the idea is to, add a little bit more, I guess, anticipation and more reason for people to get into watching the regular season and not have it necessarily count for nothing. Because, you know, teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning could have a historic regular season that should be celebrated and have it decimated because they just didn't show up. And I guess it's on on them. It's on the teams to show up in the playoffs. But, like, you know, 62 games in an NHL season is still impressive. And it was on them to make sure that wasn't lost in vain, honestly. And that's, I think, what they did with this consecutive Stanley Cup. Um, Last thing from the series, a lot of debate over the Conn Smythe Trophy. Ultimately, I think they got the right choice in Andre Vasilevsky. Talk about, you know, undefeated after a loss dating back to last year's postseason. Uh, Only faced elimination once uh, because he was in that for the all of it and was so brilliant throughout all of it. Um, just the numbers were incredible and nothing tops the fact that he had a shutout in every closeout game after um, the one nothing victory in game five over Montreal. So did you have any problem with the Conn Smythe choice, given that Nikita Kucherov did things only Gretzky and Lemieux had done and Braden Point almost broke the record for goal streak in the playoffs? I think his candidacy fell off a little bit but there were certainly a lot of good choices for Tampa Bay and it ultimately went to their goaltender. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with Andre Vasilevsky to getting it because I felt he was just so dominant throughout the playoffs and especially in that final series as well. Uh, I get why Nikita Kucherov should have been considered. And I don't think I would have been upset. I mean, I don't have a vote for any of these things, but I wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. upset if Nikita Kucherov ended up with it. I would have loved to have seen Braden point, keep up that goal scoring streak. And I think if he had kept that into the final, he definitely would have made his candidacy a lot stronger but Andre Vasilevsky, just in key moments for this Tampa Bay Lightning team, uh, even in games throughout this playoff run where the Lightning players may not have shown up as well as they would have liked, Vasilevsky was there for them. Ends with a sub-two goals against average in the postseason. We're talking about one of the more dominant runs for goaltending in the playoffs. Uh, this is a guy who, uh, through, the, through that Conn Smythe and two Stanley Cup rings to his tally, he's building in a very early case to for Hall of Fame already. You know what I'm saying? Like, let alone be the best goaltender of, of in the game right now. He's he's building up his resume to be a Hall of Fame goaltender already. So I, I have no problems with Andre Vasilevsky uh, winning the Consmite Trophy this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about that on my last post-game pod, I think, after game five. Just the fact that Andre Vasilevsky is already probably a Hall of Famer. Like he could have average seasons down the stretch, and his average seasons are spectacular. But he he could he could suffer a pretty significant drop off in play, and probably still have a better resume than a lot of guys who are in the in the Hall of Fame right now. Just unbelievable. He's nominated for the Vezina every year. He only has one victory. He should probably have three. He has the Conn Smythe. He has back to back Stanley Cups. He is the best goaltender of this generation bar none, I guess, taking that mantle from Carey Price. Uh, you know, it's hard to define these generations. We yeah. loosely throw around that. 
but this is okay. If the 2010s belong to Carey Price with a Hart Trophy, the Olympics, the Vesna he won, all the wins. I think we are now transitioning into the Andre Vasilevsky era where he is clearly the best goaltender in the game today. And I am perfectly happy with him winning the Smythe trophy because the, you know, it's not based on narrative, but the fact that he was literally unbeatable in games, not every game in which they could close out an opponent because he did lose game six versus the Islanders, but in the games where they won the series, he didn't have to be perfect, but he was perfect in those games. And if, you're perfect in those games. You can't lose the game. You can't lose Come the on. game, and that means you are advancing beyond the next round or to lift the Stanley Cup. Um, okay, so we've had since. The- this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Game. Game five. Um, Fallout. Media Day in Montreal, and you were heavily involved with that. So I'll just serve the ball in your court. What was the most striking moment from Media Day? Uh, what did we learn that sort of still resonates with you? Man, there were a lot of really interesting stories kind of coming out here. And I guess for the national Yahoo audience that we have, because there were some kind of small little local things going around. Caden Primo's mystery of why he left the uh, Canadians postseason bubble for quote unquote reasons kind of caused a mini stir. Uh, the uh, their Laval Rocket head coach Joel Bouchard uh, taking a job in San work. Diego, and that turned into a whole little mini firestorm because a lot of Canadians fans thought that oh he probably would be the guy to take over for Dominic Ducharme if it doesn't work out for him as an interim head coach, and we all know how that run happened. So that also was a bit of a story, but I don't know how many people on Yahoo or people who go to this podcast will necessarily care about that. So I guess I'll just focus in on Mark Bergevin and the interesting comment that he said about, you know, the possibility of, uh, you know, wanting to stay beyond this year. And he says he intends to honor the final year of his contract. And that's all he left it at. I think of, and I don't know if you caught this, or I don't know if how many other people caught this at the media day, just before the Stanley cup fund, uh, I forget what the question was, but he kind of just made this comment about how if he won the Stanley Cup, that might be enough for him to retire. And he said it, and I kind of took it as something he said in jest. You know, like he thought like he was like laughing, and no one really laughed at that. But it was just kind of like a weird comment thrown out there. And I thought, okay, well, whatever. He's not going to actually retire. But then when you see that uh, about him saying, you know, he tends to honor the final year of his contract, and that's it. And you 
like a, a lot of people seem to think that, you know, a lot, maybe not think, but you're kind of realizing the burden that's been kind of placed on Mark Bergevin as general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. Let's be real here. Being general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, it's the hardest job, hardest GM job in the NHL, I think. I get like there's the attention in, in Toronto, there's the attention in other media markets across the National Hockey League scape. But in Montreal, you have to deal with people getting mad at you in two languages <laughs> on top of the language politics that are there. Yeah. And in talking to a few people about this, like Mark Bergerman seems to realize this himself. This isn't just something that like observers on the outside could just kind of look at. But I think Mark Bergerman also realizes that this is something that's taken a lot out of him. Like before the pandemic, like this is a team that, you know, with the core with Shea Weber had like one playoff series with Shea Weber, strictly speaking, with had that one playoff series against the Rangers. And I think they lost that in five games. Uh, they had pieces like Alex Galchenyuk and P.K. Subban and Max Pacioretty, and they had the run in 2014, but that's it. And Carey Price got hurt. But after that, it's just been just been kind of heading the da- on, on the downward slope. And if it wasn't for the results in the pandemic, who knows where Mark Bergevin would have ended up? Who knows what this team would have looked like? And I still think, and I've mentioned on the show before, there was some desperation from Mark Bergevin this past offseason to add the players that he added in Tyler Toffoli, in Josh Anderson, even in Corey Perry, and Joel Edmondson, and Jake and Jake Allen. And mm-hmm. in letting go of Claude Julien partway through the season because he he was scared that he thought the team was going to ha- was going to trend towards what they looked like the year prior prior where they they had two eight game winless streaks. You didn't want a repeat of that. And then the thing for me was letting go of Stefan Waite, the goaltending coach in the middle of a game. Like that's that's desperation. And you could kind of see it on Mark Bergevin's face with the way that he just looked tired and like, like frustrated. And Mark Bergevin even admitted himself, like one thing he was kind of worried about was, was how consistent he was being or how he was being viewed by other people in that stretch. Like this is a job that has taken a lot out of Mark Bergevin. It's not for the faint of heart for anyone to do in the national hockey league. And the more I think about it, if the Canadians somehow won that Stanley Cup, I don't know if we would have heard from Mark Bergevin after this year. He might have just been like, you know what? I've done everything I need to do. And I mean, at that point, like if you win a Stanley Cup for the first time in 28 years, what else do you really need to do in Montreal? Like, seriously, who cares if you don't win the dynasty three, four years? You could always say you were that guy who, against all odds, brought your team to a Stanley Cup. Again, maybe this is more speculation Maybe this isn't necessarily going down that trend, going down that path. But if Mark Bergevin decides after his contract that, you know what, I'm, I'm done being a GM, let me do something else. We look back at, I can look back at some of those comments he made uh, just before the Stanley Cup final and after the Stanley Cup final. And they might end up kind of revealing more than we needed to know at that moment about how Mark Bergman feels about this job. I think that was the biggest thing that came out uh, of that media day beyond all the injuries and stuff and may or may not see some players coming back and the Philip Deneau contract talks and whatever. Uh, he says he's open to pizza sponsorships. He turned down a few uh, during the playoffs, but uh, I think the, the Mark Bergman story uh, I think that ended up being the biggest thing. And who knows where that'll end up, but it was a really interesting thing to focus on. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think that was the one thing that stuck out to me the most. Obviously, the Jeff Petrie story with all oh, that uh, too. With the uh, with the eyes was something to uh, at least you know it was engaging and interesting, uh, yeah. kind of gross, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, the Yasperi Kotkaniemi thing, you know, sort of admitting that he was not happy, you know, to come out of the lineup. Obviously, he would be, and you know, we get the the injury stuff where you know couple groins here and, and all that and obviously what happened to Petrie but you know that's all standard fare right the Mark Bergevin mm-hmm. thing was different it was and, and when I first read it it was like oh he's not going to use this to try and leverage a better contract is he he's not actually you know it, you know I have one more year and I'm and this is you know this is not enough for me if you want to retain me my service is the guy who built this team into what it is now I want more money. I, uh, that's exactly what I thought it was when I first read it. But luckily I have you here who was not just there and not just reading quotes on Twitter. Like I was who <laughs> digs a, a little deeper into this. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you don't want to bring in, you don't want to like look at someone's appearance and, and say anything or draw any conclusions, but this looks like a guy who's, you know, aged a little bit here. You see this through, you know, you see this in sports a lot where, you can tell based on an appearance of someone that their job is taking a toll on them. And again, I don't want to make a judgment from that. The hairstyle is the hairstyle. It's a pandemic. Yeah. You can't go to the barber shop. His suits are still fantastic. He's probably still you can though. The Here's the thing: in Quebec, you can. I know in Ontario, a lot of people are like, "Man, <laughs> we true. can't go to barber shops and all of that." In Quebec, you can go. I've been going like every two weeks. That's true. That's true. Mark Bergevin could go. It might be his lucky long hair. I have no idea. But it's not even about the hair. It's not about the suits. It's not about anything else. He looks like a guy who has aged a little bit. He looks like a guy who's been through the ringer a little bit and maybe a guy who's looking to have a less stressful nine to five. And there was some discussion or rumors or some insider information that suggested that he might move up and they might have someone come into the GM role and handle the day to day while he has more of a, you know, liaison between ownership and you know hockey operations sort of role and maybe that's what makes the most sense in this moment but it what it did stick out right that this was sort of the big news where it's he doesn't really want that contract extension that we both thought that he earned by putting together this team and maybe just in the nick of time because we expected that them to not do much in the playoffs maybe not even make the playoffs by the way they were playing down the stretch and all of a sudden he had all the leverage in the world. So my first instinct was, oh, he's using this leverage that he just has for this maybe fleeting moment to try and get a big money deal to continue doing what he's doing. No, he just might be burnt out. What's that position? Um, Some other teams have it where it is kind of like a liaison between the ownership and the general manager. Brian Burke's um, vice president of hockey operations, maybe would something be the one. like that. Something like I that. I just, I laugh at that because for a while, among some Canadians fans, I think before some of the success came through, one thing that some fans would bring up is like, hey, you know what? What if they brought back Serge Savard to be in that liaison role between the owner and the general manager? And that would help out this team going forward. How ironic would it be if Mark Bergevin ascended to that role and someone else took that GM role? Maybe that's a small thing, just a deep cut for Canadians fans. But that makes me laugh so hard at the possibility that fans were begging for this. And then Mark Bergevin says, like, all right, done. I'm done with this GM shit. I'm going up into this role that, that everyone was like, that would be pretty good for Mark Bergevin. In all seriousness, man, like, 
I, I mentioned this before, but being a GM in Montreal is hard. And when you're not getting success year in, year out, and you are hearing it from, it's one thing to hear it from fans. It's a whole other thing for to hear it, again, from two languages, from, mm-hmm. from the Anglo media and the much more louder, much more present Francophone media in Montreal. Uh, it, it does put a lot on you. And if you look at Mark Bergevin from like 20, what, 2010, 2011 when he joined to now, like it's kind of like looking at Obama during like the beginning of his time in the White House to like the end. Mm-hmm. Like you see all the white hairs kind of popping up. That's, it does that's age the perfect you. example. Yeah. It, and, and look, being a GM of an NHL team, completely different from being the leader of an entire country. But Mark Bergevin yes. should be said. But yeah, I think it's fair to say this job has definitely aged him. And I, I'm willing to bet it's taken a bit out of him. And who knows what it would have been for Mark Bergevin had this Canadians team not gone out of the first round. I still think, like, he would have, like, I still think his future very much would have been in question if the Canadians did not get out of that first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think Dominic Ducharme as well uh, would have also been in question. Who knows what we would have seen? It might be like a kind of like that upcoming Marvel series, What If? Like, that would be a really interesting What If, I guess. But, it is interesting that even after all of that, like Mark Bergman didn't say anything to suggest that like, you know, he would want that extension, I guess, but maybe, but I also thought at the beginning too, that maybe just being cautious, maybe instead of saying, you know what, like, let me point it out there and be like, yeah, of course I want to come back. And we're talking to Jeff Molson about this. Cause there was that report going around where there were discussions about his future. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I guess we all just kind of assumed it would have just turned into a contract extension, but maybe it turned into something else. But like, yeah, I, I think with the way Mark Bergman tried to handle things in the presser on Friday, more questions than answers definitely with him. And and who knows? And now I'm trying to think like who internally would be that guy. Then now if, if Mark Bergman leaves, then why would Joel Bouchard leave then? That just so many questions now. Well, that's more associated with the head coach right so let's get into the dominic well well, well well here's the thing right like it's sorry and i'll, I'll get into dominic Ducharme. i guess with joel no, Bouchard, the thing i'll say this is that and i guess i don't, I don't even know if i can really talk about it that much but like i had the intentions of writing a story about joel bouchard at the beginning of the playoffs and because the Canadians running kind of got pushed off a little bit but one thing about joel is is that uh, former NHL defenseman uh, ends up coaching in junior, uh, him bringing a team to to a part of Quebec where he's the GM, he's the owner, he does so many things. This is a guy who, yes, he was coaching the Canadians minor league affiliate, but he has. It seems as if he 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 likes that idea of doing more than just coaching. Like he mm. he has that experience working in managerial circles. Like he's worked with Hockey Canada on some of their U eighteen teams. Like. I don't know. I, I think if 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 Mark Bergevin, I don't know if they've talked about it or anything like that. It would just be interesting that Joel Bouchard, in spite of what Mark Bergevin might be feeling, if it, that is the case, would just opt to go somewhere else. Again, very localized talk here, but like, just I feel like after that, with management, as far as I'm concerned, more questions than answers with this Montreal Canadiens team than I expected to be after a postmortem where they just came off a Stanley Cup final appearance. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's it's interesting how uh, the first steps, uh, the first steps that have been made here, um, and and how it just opens up the possibility of change and and, and maybe some just circumstances that we didn't envision. I, I think we did envision that Dominique Ducharme would be back based on the run. Uh, yeah. 
it, I guess the, the question is, how is Montreal reacting to that one? Uh, is this sort of a unanimous approval sort of thing? Is there some disappointment that Bouchard has moved on because it seemed like he didn't get the opportunity that maybe he was waiting for in the time in which he probably marked it on the calendar as perhaps the opportunity that he would have to step into that role and leaving the organization completely when, you know, the, the, the future isn't, you know, in stone here for Ducharme, for Bergevin, for everyone. Well, if you hear Mark Bergevin tell it, when he says that when they brought him into the staff, there was a belief in him for the long term. And he also emphasized that a lot of people internally believe in Dominic Ducharme. I'm taking that as, as far as I'm concerned, unofficially, the interim tag is off. Like Dominic mm-hmm. Ducharme, I think I'm led to believe that barring something crazy weird, like in that first round against the Leafs, where the team just looked completely out of it, Dominic Ducharme probably would have come back anyway as the head coach. And I think after this final run, um, I don't want to. I don't think there's been much negativity. I think some fans have been like pretty cool with that. I think it was just kind of to be expected, considering where he was able to bring them. I'm also curious what this will this run will mean for Luke Richardson as well, who was able to sub in for Dominic Ducharme when he tested positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess those two guys. I'm really intrigued about their futures. Joel Bouchard just still very much a mystery. I guess just as I understand, he had the opportunity to coach in San Diego, uh, the opportunity to join Dominic Ducharme on his bench as an assistant yep. coach or to go back to Laval. And he still ended up taking the AHL job in, in San Diego. In San Diego. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I think Joel Bouchard probably wanted that opportunity to be behind an AHL bench. Like you can't tell me otherwise that I I'm convinced that Joel Bouchard is trying to get himself to the NHL. And I think him going into the Anaheim organization where yes, they hired some assistant coaches to be with Dallas Akins who could take over for him. But I think the pathway for Joel Bouchard to the NHL a little bit easier over there as opposed to Montreal, who may very well at some point take off the interim tag off down Nick Ducharme. Wouldn't be surprised if by the time you're all listening to this, it would have already happened. But yeah. Luke Richardson, not a candidate to be Montreal's head coach for reasons that are, you know, obvious. In Language. That he's not, not a French speaking head coach or not a French speaking coach at all. Um, but I think Montreal is probably a little bit fortunate that the coaching carousel kind of stopped churning before the end of the season because mm. Luke Richardson looks like a future head coach in the NHL. I do not want to make too much of a small sample in what he did in six, seven games uh, when Dominique Ducharme was out with COVID. But his um, his demeanor in front of the media, his the response he got from his players, he just looks like the next head coach for someone uh, and it looks like, although he doesn't have a contract yet with Montreal, uh, that it w- he won't be head coaching somewhere else next season, even though that he might be an assistant coach in another market just because he doesn't have a contract yet. But I would expect him, especially with Joel Bouchard, turning down the opportunity to join the staff that he would be uh, he would back he would be he would be back with the Canadians if he so chooses. Yeah. Also, if Joel Bouchard is going to be is gone now. Uh, I one name that has popped up as a guy who could leave uh, the Canadian staff to go coach in Laval is Alex Burroughs, who mm-hmm. went up from Laval to coach with Dominic Ducharme. So looks as if Dominic Ducharme is going to have to be hiring a new assistant one way or another, uh, regardless of what happens with Luke Richardson or anyone else going forward. So some changes are going to be coming to coaching at the very least uh, during this offseason. 
Okay, three names that pop up to me when thinking about, you know, the fallout, the disappointment, all that. I mean, obviously, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are guys that are going to be around here for a while, going to be around in big parts of the next iteration of the team that hopefully, from a Montreal perspective, compete for a Stanley Cup. But Shea Weber, Carey Price, maybe to a lesser extent, Brendan Gallagher. Um, I think these were the guys who maybe wore the disappointment more than anyone. Um, there might've been other guys that were, you know, beaten up in the moment, but, uh, Shea Weber in particular, his reaction. I mean, a lot of people were drawing conclusions from it. Is this the end of Shea Weber? I don't, I don't think that has been the case. Uh, but this maybe he just believes that this maybe was the, the one opportunity he was going to have. Um, I don't know if there's reason to believe that, but his reaction was certainly worth digging into a little bit more. So what do you take of his reaction his future specifically, and probably the same with Carey Price and, and maybe to a lesser extent, Brendan Gallagher, sort of the three veterans of this team. I definitely am willing to believe that they are feeling very emotional off the fact that this might have been their best chance at getting a Stanley Cup, and they were they, they ultimately fell short. Um, yeah. I can't speak to what the future might look like for Shea Weber. I know he is up there in age, Um we all know about we all know about the injury history that has kind of run with him over this last little while, um, and who knows what the team might do with the expansion draft, with in terms of protecting players and all that, and that's a whole other discussion. But I definitely think that those guys, because of the fact that they were in the final, this was something that at least Brendan Gallagher said that you know this was this was a place they envisioned themselves being at the beginning of the year and I almost can't blame them considering all the changes they made in the offseason and the start that they had mm-hmm. only for them to fall short near the end it hurts it sucks i thought Shane Weber did a very good thing in uh, the post game press conference where Carey Price was admitting you know he, he felt he needed to be better and Shea Weber just kind of lifted him up and said no like the team in front of Carey Price should have been better I think that's one of the best things he's done uh, since joining the Montreal Canadiens organization because it's the truth. Carey Price played as best as he could. uh, And fine, there were some games where he looked ordinary, but the team in front of him could have been way better. I think Shea Weber's future, again, I can't really speak to it. I think he definitely was just feeling the raw emotions of just losing his Stanley Cup final. And I'm willing to, I don't, I mean, anything could happen. The Canadiens could always go on another spectacular run next year, I guess. But this might have been the best chance for Shea Weber and, and, and Carey Price. I mean, I know Carey Price still has that long contract. Brendan Gallagher signed that extension last mm-hmm. year. So Gallagher, I guess, would be the older vet if the Canadians somehow during his tenure uh, go back to the Stanley Cup final again. But I think for a guy like Shea Weber, yeah, I, I, I would understand if he felt this was his chance at, at getting a Stanley Cup final and he was, was, and he fell short in the end. And I think if you realize that, like, that sucks. Remember, this is a guy who up until this year, Shea Weber, had never gotten past the second round, never gotten past the second round in his career. And boom, he's there in the Stanley Cup final. He doesn't get that opportunity. Jeff Petrie, another veteran as well, uh, getting his first crack of the Stanley Cup final as well. And who knows if he gets a second chance as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, for both, you know, Weber and Price, I, I, I hope they get that chance. Like, it's you can't – not everyone gets these chances, right? Like, only two teams yeah. compete for it. And it seems like, as I mentioned, you got to establish – you got to reach, uh, reach some standard to win this trophy. It is very, very difficult. And who knows if Montreal is going to get there. But, like, 
it struck me with him crying on the ice and, and being the one guy that seemed the most beaten up by it because this is one of the most imposing people I've ever seen in real life. Asking a question to Shea Weber, the one time that I did it was what a nerve wracking experience. <laughs> this guy is a monster. And when he claps back at the guy who asked the question before you, it's a little bit intimidating. This guy is a oh my God. of a man and a freak. <laughs> and to see him reduced to tears, like it's a reminder of what this means, how fleeting these moments are and how it's not promised to great players, even though Shea Weber might be below that threshold at this point in his career. I mean, I, I still think he played a major, major role on a I team agree. that went to the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, writing him off or b- using all of his regular season data and calling him a terrible defenseman, I just think is a wrong thing. And I, again, this these this playoff run was another example of the fact that things change. It's a different game from postseason to regular season. And just taking what we've learned from regular seasons that, again, we talked about how 82 games means nothing. These all, some of this data means nothing too because there's like a different gear, there's a different element to their games, and we have to be careful when we Ooh, draw all these conclusions. Be careful what you say. Montreal is like the child of that team. Be of careful that, what you say. Right, but be careful with what you say. Dan doesn't matter. You don't want any of the analytics people coming for you. Okay. Don't piss them off. You're don't piss them off. Not, he's not an analytics darling, and I don't think he ever will be. No, at least again, he maybe was earlier in his career, but. Uh, he can still get it done in the playoffs, and I hope he gets another chance to at least compete. Um, same with Carey Price, because these are guys that deserve to not have, you know, the sort of regular season or postseason record that they had entering this playoff. Like they're great players in their generation, and this is the first time they really experienced it. I think that's probably why the emotions came pouring out. Yeah, uh, just sucks. It sucks for those guys. I don't know when it'll happen again, honestly. I think of how the divisions will look next year, and they'll be basically back to normal, essentially. And I think of all those teams right. fighting to make the playoffs. And I know the Canadians have proven with the team that they have, they could fight and 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 be a team that you shouldn't look over when it comes mm-hmm. to being in the playoffs. But it would really surprise me if they got back to the final again with this team, with this version of the core. I think it, I could see them going back with a few more years with Nick Suzuki, a few more years for Cole Caulfield as well, who will be entering his rookie season next year. Uh, but with with Weber and Price, like, I do wonder if this was it. I do wonder if this was as best of a chance as it might get. I just don't see them making the final again next year, barring some spectacular offseason splash uh, that just puts them over the top and makes them a cup-contending team. It's difficult to do. It's difficult to do, and, and I'm sure – after going through it, they realized that even more than ever. Okay, a couple quick points before we go to mm-hmm. just a couple headlines that have come out since and during the Stanley Cup final in the case of Vladimir Tarasenko. But uh, Phil Deneau, quickly, will he be back next year? I would be stunned if he wasn't. I think this guy has proven that, you know, even if he is not going to be counted on for goals, he is one of the best, if not the best defensive center in the well. Maybe not the best defensive center in the league, but you could put him on that list of best defensive centers in the league, considering the job that he did in the postseason against guys like Austin Matthews and Mark Stone. Uh, I think the Canadians would find a way to keep him. Obviously, there's some salary cap stuff that you got to think about with other guys, but I would be stunned uh, if Phil Deneau was not back. And let's be real here. Uh, considering how some people got mad with the whole language thing and the French Canadian players, I don't think it looks good on the Canadians if they let Phil DeNoe go. So he'll stay. 
just another dynamic to consider in Montreal, eh? So it's, yeah. it's just that extra bit, just that extra thing that, to consider. Um, yeah, I mean, bit of a uh, bit of a gamble on his part to turn down extension for, for the season uh, in a pandemic world. I don't know if it's going to work out perfectly for him. Uh, he didn't score. He didn't have a great regular season, had a great playoffs, but didn't score too many goals in the playoffs or had that offensive explosion at any point. But again, he was probably one of, if not the most valuable player throughout the postseason for the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm sure that will be reflected in his next contract when it is signed. Tampa Bay, as we mentioned, we, there's a lot of changes that are going to be happening. Uh, do you think that'll include a Steven Stamkos trade? So where? I, I mean, you know what? Like Steven Stamkos, I get it. He's like, what, 8.5 million? Like, I'm yeah, sure yeah. there are teams out there who would love a Steven Stamkos on their team. And I get he has the injury history, but we're still talking about one of the better forwards in the National Hockey League. He would elevate a franchise for sure. Um, if I was a GM, I'd obviously be kicking tires and looking to see what deal could be done. Uh, it would be tough for them to lose a guy that uh, was their number one overall pick how many years ago? 2008, I believe. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, in this, he's meant a lot to this franchise, has won the cups with this franchise, uh, gone to the final with them, has had the playoff success with them. Uh, he doesn't have to be the guy on, on a team, and he certainly isn't the, his, the number one guy on the Tampa Bay Lightning, kind of seeding that over to guys like Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. But I don't know. Maybe Tampa might have to retain some salary in a move like that, but. I don't know. I, I, I could totally see some teams looking to kick tires on Steven Stamkos. He's still a really good player when he's healthy. It's a tricky position, right? I mean, he's been the face of the franchise, as you mentioned, but he's also the most obvious trade candidate if you're trying to keep your team together. If you're trying to have the least amount of damage done, uh, it is trading that, lot, that hefty salary off your books and a player and moving on from a player that did not have any real input on a legitimate Stanley Cup winner. So... Tampa's got obviously some major, major decisions to make. I think they could yeah. really do, they could do anything and it would be okay. I mean, we're understanding of the fact that they're, they're, they're living in a flat cap world. They've signed all these brilliant contracts already. And it's still because they just have so many good players that it's impossible to keep them all together. But Stamkos does make the most sense in terms of how much he makes and his value to the franchise and his value to other franchises potentially does have no movement clause. It would take his blessing. I mean, I think that's the first discussion you have to have, but I feel like there's going to be plenty of discussions involving the Tampa yeah. Bay Lightning who are not going to leave the news cycle anytime soon because they might be the most active team this summer and in the lead up to the expansion draft, the draft and free agency. Okay. Let's end the Tampa Montreal discussion on this. Nikita Kucherov obviously drank some beers, maybe some tequila, maybe his alcohol that he just doesn't mix with very well in the yeah. fallout of the championship celebration or in like the 30 minutes between celebrating it and then having to do media. Uh, what is your take on Nikita Kucherov's postgame antics? Do you have a problem with it? Do you have a problem with the people who have a problem with it? What's sort of your take on all this? Uh, okay. There's a guy who won the Stanley cup. He drank a couple beers and he said some things and I don't see the big deal about I just I think it's cool that he did that. I think it's pretty funny, actually. And I, maybe I'm speaking as a media type who sees that sort of stuff from an NHL player like, whoa, 
personality, something beyond a canned answer. Like, whoa, this is cool. So I think I look at it that way. But when I see other people kind of lose their minds, like, oh, this guy's not classy. Oh, this guy certainly isn't Jean Beliveau. And how dare you invoke Brendan Gallagher as someone who would do such a thing? He's a classy person. He would never do something like this. Like, like, who cares? I just think it was just kind of a bit overblown, really. I think it's just the fact that we're not used to seeing stuff like that from NHL players. That's what kind of got a lot of people into a tizzy, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with it. He won the Stanley Cup. Congratulations. Um, the, the thing with the fans, though, like, I mean, like, yeah, you're talking to, like, a whole generation of fans who have not seen their team win anything in, like, 30 years. Like, yeah, I get it. They probably might have treated the third round like the Stanley Cup final. Um, it's just that's okay, by the way. That's okay. As, as that's your fine. Buddy, your official friend Tim McAuliffe said, that's how a real fan base celebrates his trip to the Stanley Cup final, and I'm kind of with on. that. Tampa's a little bit, you know, it's not Montreal in terms of the size of their fan base, but it's also been a privileged organization that just celebrated the Stanley Cup. But if you're on an unlikely run and you're getting out of a pandemic and you've been stuck inside for so long, why the hell would you not celebrate you. going to the Stanley Cup final? But also, if you're Nikita Kucherov, you can take any shot you want when you've scored 30 points in consecutive postseasons and just won the Stanley Cup and have just recently been liquored up by way of Bud Light. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. It's like Nikita Kucherov can kind of, you know, talk his shit. Oh, wow, I said shit twice on this podcast. No one's going to no get mad at me, right? The two and I'll officially go explicit on the on the on the uh, podcast upload. Okay, so Nikita Kucherov could say what he wants to say, and Canadians fans can celebrate the way they want to celebrate. Like, hey, can we get can we live with that? I'm good with yes. that. I yes. think those two things are pretty good. One thing that is not good, uh, that like Bud Light beer, where it's supposed to be from like the ice that the Lightning Canadians skated mm-hmm. on, with all the snot and the oil from the Zamboni. I ain't drinking that. You must be out your mind. You crazy. I'm not drinking that. That is a bad idea. That is a terrible idea. That is awful. I know we do tire pumps. We should do like zeros and stuff. Bud Light should get like a zero for that. I ain't drinking that. I mean, I'm drinking worse, so I probably would. You're drinking if worse? It was, if it was served to me, I probably would. I mean, it's... Good Lord, Cuthbert. What are through, you drinking? Gotta go, gotta go through the filtration process, no? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't okay, want to I know said, what you've drunk. I mean, come on. We've all been there. We've all been somewhere where we didn't want to be. Jeez. Okay. All right. Well, well let's talk about that on the What Has Justin Cuthbert Been Drinking Lately podcast. We'll go, over that in, we'll go over that in August. I said I was done with the Canadians lightning talk. But, you know, one of the big headlines in the last week and during the Stanley Cup final was Vladimir Tarasenko asking for a trade. And honestly, it could be recency bias, could be the, just the fact that the Canadians were top of mind. But isn't Vladimir Tarasenko the precise sort of player that Montreal needs? Yeah, I thought about that. Like, there are two things that I think the Montreal Canadiens need in this offseason. They need a mobile defenseman, and they need a top-line forward. Thomas Attar was that top-line winger for them, mm-hmm. playing alongside Brendan Gallagher and Philip Deneau. Uh, if you have Vladimir Tarasenko there, or even if you try to put him on a second line with uh, like Tyler Toffoli and Nick Suzuki, would he not thrive? The I guess the only thing, I mean, the money is one thing, 
a shoulder surgery, I believe, is what he was coming off as well. Like, yeah. the Canadians already have Josh Anderson dealing with, you know, trying to come back from shoulder surgery. Having two guys on lengthy con- – well, I, th- I know uh, not lengthy contracts, but the money with that, like, that, I get why Canadians fans would be a little bit hesitant at that. But I think if you're Mark Bergerman, you should kick tires on this. I think the, I think um, Tarasenko's a guy who would pretty much do what you need this team to do, which is to score goals. And I know Cole Caulfield is going to enter his rookie season, and he'll be looked at to do that. But having another guy on a top line being in that position as well alleviates some pressure off of the rookie. And mm-hmm. you could put that on a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, who knows a thing or two about going to the playoffs as well. So you're 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 adding goal scoring, you're adding Stanley Cup final experience. Uh, Joel Edmondson and Jake Allen would probably uh, know a thing or two about Vladimir Tarasenko having won a cup with him. Yeah, I think if you're Mark Bergevin, you kick the tires on it. Another guy I thought that the Canadians might also look into, depending on how they view their center depth or who knows what happens with Phil Deneau, if Genny Kuznetsov as well plays center. That's mm-hmm. a, I, I think I could see I that think, too. I think before the end of this offseason, uh, whether or not the Canadians get one of those players or not, like we'll hear from Elliot Friedman or CJ or someone that Mark Bergevin kicked tires on Kuznetsov or Tarasenko. One of those two players. Montreal Canadiens, the Montreal Canadiens will be in on in the offseason. You can take that to the bank. I think Tarasenko makes perfect sense. I mean, they need that guy that can – they need that other threat offensively. That's clearly what they were missing is this in the series was that some sort of weapon. You know, they had one in Caulfield, but Caulfield's still coming into his own, and I think they need someone to not only insulate Caulfield, but just to score – the score of the goals necessary that are going to get them back to the playoffs next year. That is the big mm-hmm. thing. They've got to make the playoffs and still, you know, protect their identity from these latest playoffs and the run to the Stanley cup final. And I think Vladimir Tarasenko is a guy who would help accomplish that. And again, I don't know what's happening with uh, Jonathan Drouin. I don't know if you can trade Jonathan Drouin. I don't know what the future is for him, but the money is not equal, but that's a large segment that can be given to a guy like Tarasenko if you trust that his shoulder has healed in the way it needs to, and that you can make the right medical decisions around him to get him on the ice producing and ultimately scoring goals. Because if Montreal has Tarasenko and Caulfield and guys like Nick Suzuki and Phil Deneau who are so stable in their roles and tons of other guys around the, on the roster that do their jobs, Byron's Anderson's Perry's, if he's back Gallagher, I think you got something there. You have a team that's you don't have to worry about them being a playoff team if they're able to make if you're able to get Tarasenko on that roster. I think so, yeah. And and you don't have to worry so much about them getting goals from anyone because if Vladimir Tarasenko is healthy, that's a 30 goal scorer on the team. And I understand Tyler Toffoli has reached that plateau, and I understand Brendan Gallagher has reached that plateau, but neither of those players have the same abilities with their shooting that Vladimir Tarasenko does. Agreed. Uh second of three headlines. Duncan Keith. Talking about him going to the Edmonton Oilers for the last two weeks. Uh, I know a lot of people are against this. I think the amount of belly laughing, and you just had some belly laughing, directed toward the Edmonton Oilers for adding a Duncan Keith potentially at half the cost, paying him like a number four defenseman and playing him as a number four defenseman. Why are we laughing at the Oilers for this? This is a good move, no? Duncan Keith, your fourth best defenseman potentially. And playing if you're trading Ethan Bear Shelton, for him. I'm not, I'm not trading Ethan Bear for him. That, that's it. That's what people are. That, I don't, Darren Dreger said that. If it's Ethan Bear, it might, it's probably a mistake because I want him to play with Ethan Bear, potentially on the second pairing, potentially on the third pairing, given what they've got there in Edmonton with 
Darnell Nurse being the lead guy, maybe Tyson Berry coming back, and still Adam Larson and maybe uh, what's his name? What's his name? Oh, oh God! Uh, 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 not the Tyson injured Bay. Swedish defenseman. Like my mind is completely. Oh, oh, oh like, uh, Oscar, Oscar Kleffbaum. There Oscar we go. Oscar Kleffbaum. I don't think he's <laughs> going to play. He might not play. But that's Duncan Keith in behind that. Sign me that. Sign me up for that all day. Are you sure? Like you gotta remember, like Duncan Keith is not twenty-seven. He's like thirty-seven. He's past his prime. Like that's that's not someone you trade for, man. I'm sorry. I get it. He's a great defenseman. Won all those Stanley Cups with the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't know if the Edmonton Oilers should be doing this trade in any circumstance. Still move the puck. Can still move the puck. Can still dominate against lesser competition. He's going to cost half the money. If they retain 50%, Duncan Keith know, at like $3 million being paid like a fourth defenseman and playing in a four slot. I, I can't believe how many people think this is a terrible move. you okay, got to win well, for, now. For what? And that's getting a potential puck-moving defenseman who can hit Connor McDavid in stride over and over and over again from his defensive zone. That's what they're missing. Connectivity. Between the d- defense and the offense, I don't know what it's going to be for, but call it, but Chicago wants to get rid of him. They don't care because they want Seth Jones. Yeah, so well, they're trying true. to get rid of him. I don't know if I trade Ethan Bear, even though Ethan Bear had a tough year. I don't know if I trade Ethan Bear for him. I want him to play it with Ethan Bear, as I said. But if you can get him for nothing because Chicago just wants to get rid of him and because Duncan Keith wants to leave, I'm doing that. I got to win in the next two years with Connor it, McDavid. It all depends on what nothing helps me for two years. It all depends on what that nothing is. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. But I mean, I guess we can assume that the Oilers will make a mistake. But let's wait for them to make a mistake before we all start belly laughing. So you you have okay. confidence in Ken Allen? Uh, more so than previous general managers there at Edmonton, but not much. Not okay. Much. Right. I do, what what my problem with Ken Holland is the creativity that other th- teams are showing. He does not show. No. Right. Like think of the things that happen in Toronto. Think of the things that happen in Tampa Bay. Think of the things even with Colorado. Like all these teams find a way to make things happen. They find a way to take advantages of either rules or other teams in the positions they find themselves in. Ken Holland never does that. He's still, he hasn't adapted the way other general managers have. He's still managing like it is the Detroit Red Wings 15 years ago. That's the problem. With yes. Ken Holland. If he could surround himself with people that maybe are a little bit more, you know, creative, creative, we'll just call it that. I the think Edmonton are going to get Duncan Keith. When you put I'm it that way, it. Oh my I'm God! The, the Ken Holland Number is going to defenseman Ken, Duncan Keith. Sign me up for Ethan Bear. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Enjoy it. Caleb Jones would be a better choice. Yeah, Play with his maybe. brother. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. There you go. I don't know if they should do this trade. I don't know if this is something worth doing. I get that you know he might still have some things left in the tank, and I understand there could be a possibility of retaining salary. I just think that maybe they're better off putting their money elsewhere or getting a younger. And I get fine. There's no real impact defenseman out there. And I mean, I, I know Seth Jones is available for trade, but in terms of a free agent, a little less so. You, the talent kind of goes down from that point. But I don't know if Duncan Keith is that guy at the money, at the age. I, that brings me a lot of pause. I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not as enthusiastic about this as you are. Okay, we'll relitigate this one. We'll relitigate this one Fine. down the road when Duncan Keith is starring in a sheltered role. Maybe in August. 
Okay. Uh, last headline, Zach Hyman probably leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs as reported by Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman, the Detroit Red Wings potentially being interested, and maybe something of a trade with Tyler Bertuzzi potentially being a target of the Toronto Ooh. Maple Leafs. I don't really have, like, uh, this is really disappointing for Leaf fans. Zach Hyman is, like, sewn into the fabric of this iteration of this team. It's really disappointing that they're not going to be able to make this work from a Leaf fan's perspective. But again, you just have to make a decision. You have to put your foot down at some point. And if Zach Hyman wants money that is, you know, just beyond what they can pay and is, you know, sort of at the extent or the upper limit, like they've signed Marner and Matthews to already, those upper limits, if he wants his upper limit, you just can't give it to him. You can't give everybody the upper limit and think that you can put a team together. So it's disappointing on multiple fronts. It's disappointing that Zach, Zach Hyman wants that upper limit to a certain extent. We just saw Ryan Nugent Hopkins agree to take almost a million dollars less for an eight-year term with the Edmonton Oilers, a team that hasn't accomplished really anything like the Leafs, but is wanting to be in that spot still. He wants to, you know, go through the entire process and try to win with the Edmonton Oilers and that group. But it doesn't seem like Zach Hyman is going to make those same concessions. And that is both on the part of Zach Hyman, but also a problem that the Maple Leafs created for themselves by not playing the hardball with anyone until this point. And it's really their own issue. And it's, they're going to have to wear this one. The fact that a guy that is so beloved is about to leave. You said it better than me. Uh, remind me again, how much money uh, Zach Hyman turned down with 6 million. I don't know if the 6 million was tabled. Was it? I don't remember. I don't. I knew it was if, like if more he, than if five. They, if they offered him six million dollars, it's a mistake by the Leafs. And if he turned down six million dollars to stay with Toronto, it was a mistake from Hyman. I think it's more I'll than five. That. If I if I remember correctly, because this was something that was a while back. Um, well, I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins basically set the standard. Yeah, because Ryan Nugent Hopkins is objectively better than than Zach Hyman and Agreed. will age better than Zach Hyman. It's not even Agreed. close. So to pay Agreed. Zach Hyman more than five and change, which is what Nugent Hopkins signed for, mistake. Mistake written all over it. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but if at this point, you know, here's the thing. At least with the forwards that the Toronto Maple Leafs have committed all this money to, in Mar- Marners, Matthews, Tavares, like those are top quality forwards. Like not to say Hyman isn't the top quality forward, not the same level, not the same echelon as those three guys. So it's very hard to justify, you know, paying the upper limit, as you said, for him compared to what you're already paying for the other forwards I just mentioned. Like there's too much at stake in that. And yes, that is their problem, but like Zach Hyman, and I didn't even mention William Nylander and the money he's making as well. Like Mm -hmm. Zach Hyman, I don't think you want to get to that point where you're strapping yourself with all the forwards being made, making all this money, especially when, the Leafs, and, and I know it's kind of hard to determine what they really need to do this offseason, but I don't think putting out all that money for Zach Hyman is the way to go. Well, Bertuzzi is interesting because you think he's sort of the sim, same type of player, maybe has more scoring upside, but the big difference is that he's a restricted free agent and you can, can you can cost control him a little bit and he's coming off an injury an injury-filled season with Detroit and maybe that's the best way to plug that hole with just a younger cheaper player with perhaps a little bit more scoring punch. Anyway, we'll get more into the Leafs uh, and every other team as we move along here. We're going to have two more episodes together before we take a break for what will be 
a delayed summer because we've been working yeah. so hard and you've been working so hard with a lengthy postseason run. Uh, but we're going to discuss things after the expansion draft and then after the start of free agency. Those, so those are our last two episodes of season two, officially, the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. We usually end with a tire pump. I didn't put it in the prep. Do you have one uh, ready to rock that you can end with or something that can pop to mind that we can uh, roll on with? Or we can defer until our final two episodes to deliver our final tire pumps. Tire pump, uh, keeping up with my theme of going off the wall and not necessarily praising someone in the National Hockey League. Zayla Avangard, the 14-year-old who won the National uh, Spelling Bee uh, earlier this week, might actually be the most interesting 14-year-old in America, obviously winning the Spelling Bee. Uh, she holds three Guinness World Records for most basketballs dribbled simultaneously, uh, most basketball bounces, most bounce juggles in one minute. Uh, I mean, those two things I mentioned as well, like like this kid seems very special. Uh, Avant-Garde is her last name. Her real – well, it's her given last name. Her real last name is Heard. Her dad is a big fan of John Coltrane, the jazz singer – well, the jazz performer, I should say – and decided, okay, because it was avant-garde style, boom, you're going to get that name. This person uh, winning the spelling bee, uh, I think he only took up like spelling bees like relatively mm-hmm. recently. Could Two be playing ago. in the yeah, could be playing in the WNBA when it's all said and done. Uh, she is the coolest 14 year old on the planet right now at this very moment. And uh, even though she has nothing to do with our podcast and nothing to do with the NHL, she is very much deserving of a tire pump. Well- Oh, I'm not going to top that. So it's a solo pump. But how is it possible to be that talented? I don't know. Especially at that age. Like, come on. How, 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 can you do, how can you do like multiple things at the very highest level and also be like a ridiculous juggler, unicycler? Like what? How is that even possible to be able to be that know, good dude. at things? Yeah, you know, I think it's just it's determination. It's the focus, I guess. It's, it's practice, I guess. But she's the coolest 14-year-old out there, man. And like... I, I can't wait to see what's up for her next, man, because she's just she's super cool. She's she's mad cool. That's all I can say about her, man. She's very much deserving of a tire pump. Absolutely. And she gets both of ours for this week on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Uh, Julian, again, self-care. Get that Tony Hawk in. Get that tech deck. I'm sure you can find one on eBay or something and you can be ollieing around. I might have like a, base. I might have one around. I think, I think I everyone's might. got, oh. everyone's got one in a basement or a, or a garage somewhere that they can pull out. Oh, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold <laughs> up. Bam. Come on. Yes. Wow. Yes. I got it. There you go. There You're we go. You're a real skater. You're a real skater. <laughs> Tony Hawk. I still had it. And, uh, and you got your tech deck. All right, man. I mean, I'll just leave you because you have a busy Sunday ahead with uh, all your vices there. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.